is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Boy, those are some powerful words. And, and I pray we can sing them with a straight face. I pray increasingly those words represent our heart's cry. You know, I used to think that everything else in the world was what I needed. Increasingly, I'm realizing that Jesus Christ is what this heart needs. He is enough for me. So I've decided I'm following Jesus. I had a good week. Uh, well, welcome. I should welcome you all. Welcome to the Compass Church, everybody. Maybe you're new. We're really, really glad that you're here, and we pray that you sense God among us and that you see a bit of how great he is. Uh, we're in a series called Apex, the exhilaration of knowing God, and we're approaching the end of it. Remember, it's an 11-week series, and we are in week 10, so next week will be our, our final week in this series. But I'm excited uh, to dive into today's passage with you. I had a good week. I actually went to San Diego, California for three days. Not a bad place to go. I went to gather together with some pastors from our association or denomination. We are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, an association of 1,500 churches. And though there are 1,500 churches, this was only 30 pastors uh, from our denomination that have churches all the same size as ours. And it was just so fun to be with them. As I arrived at the hotel, I, I had this moment where I had to find the pastors. There were a bunch of groups meeting in different banquet rooms at the uh, uh, hotel. But sure enough, I looked at one room. They're the past- they look like pastors. You know, we kind of have a funny look about us, don't we? And, and I went into that room, and this guy came up to me. He's like, I'm Bill. And I'm like, hi, Bill, I'm Jeff. And we started talking, and he said, so Jeff, uh, where are you from? And I said, from Naperville, Illinois, the Compass Church. And he goes, Jeff Griffin. And I'm like, yeah. He said, I'm Bill Hamill, the president of the denomination. And I'm like, whoa, Bill, nice to meet you. Now, I, I had talked with Bill on the phone. In fact, let me back up. My getting to know Bill is kind of an interesting journey. For the longest time, I just knew about Bill Hamill, president of our denomination, by reputation. Great guy, know his name, heard he's our president. That was all I knew. Well, then I became a pastor here, and I started getting these emails to the pastors of the Evangelical Free Church of America. So they were kind of form letters, but to pastors, and I was grateful to receive them. And by reading these form emails that came to us, I got to know his heart a little better. Felt like I knew him a little better. Well, then to go a step further, my assistant told me, the president of the denomination wants to talk with you on the phone. And I had had a delightful conversation with him on the phone that kind of poured out some of the challenges I'm dealing with, and he spoke of great wisdom into my situation, and I was blessed by that conversation. But this week, I hung out with him. This week, we laughed together. We shared three days living in the same hotel together and did meals together and drank coffee together and told stories together, and we shared life together much better. And as I thought about it, I go, that's kind of what it's like with people and God, if you think about it. 
You know, most people would know God by reputation. Most would say, yeah, I believe he exists. He's out there somewhere. I've heard about him. People say he's great. Others would say, no, 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 it's more than that for me. I have read his book, these letters, if you will, that have gone out to all Christians found in the Bible. I've read the Bible and I've seen his heart in those words and been blessed by it. Others would say, I've even gone before beyond that. I've talked with him in prayer. There have been some key moments, you know, where I share with him the challenges I'm facing and God through his spirit spoke to me and gave me words of wisdom and encouragement that I needed. But then there are some who go even further and would say, I hang out with him all day long. We share life together. He is my constant companion throughout my day. And we're going to discover in our study today that it's this last category, this sharing life together every day, all day, that is the longing in the heart of God. And it's going to be revealed to us through a building, if you will, I'm going to call it a building, that they created at Mount Sinai. The building was called the Tabernacle. In fact, today's message is called the tabernacle. And you look in your navigator and you say, no, it's not. Well, I changed, all right? So I, I, I had a movement of God's spirit in me kind of shifting emphasis. And so we have a new title and it was too late. The, the navigator had already been printed. So I apologize, just put the tabernacle. And we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And this structure is a window into the heart of God. What is God passionate about? Well, let's look at the tabernacle and find out. Exodus 25 verses 8 and 9 says this, God speaking. He says, I want the people of Israel to build me a sacred residence. I I love that, a sacred residence. The Lord's like, you guys all got residences, you've got a tent, in the case of Israel, or in the case of us, you've got an apartment or a house. You've got a residence, God says, I want one. Build me a sacred residence where I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the plans that I will show you. And as this chapter goes on, in fact, as the next six chapters go on, God gives great detail, the plans he reveals. You know, the Lord is into the detail. It's evidenced by this section of God's word. God has his house in mind. The materials that are used in building it, the room arrangement, the yard around the house, every detail the Lord has sought through, the furnishings and how the furnishings are arranged. Are, Are you like that? Do you love getting into designing your home? Well, the Lord did. And those details are very significant. I wish I had the time to study those six chapters with you. But I don't. I'd like to make a few observations in summary of some important big characteristics of the details of this house. And the first is that it was modeled after Mount Sinai itself. And you say, really, Jeff? Watch this. Take a look with me at at this diagram. Here is Mount Sinai. And, And you say, doesn't look like a mountain to me. You have to imagine you're in a helicopter looking down on it, all right? And so if if that's the case, looking down on it, this would be the peak where Moses met in these rings, 
you know, signify descending elevation. Are you with me now? Remember a few weeks back, uh, we learned about the four levels of intimacy with God that the Israelites experienced and based on really how high they got to climb the mountain. We discovered that all of the Israelites were invited to approach, to come all the way up to the mountain, to see the manifestation of God and fire and smoke at that summit. But they were not allowed to climb. In fact, they put up boundary stones around the mountain to remind the people to go no further. And so the people were able to come close, but just so far. Do you remember the 70 elders were invited to join Moses and Joshua and climb up partway up the mountain? And as a result of that invitation, their experience of God was even richer. Only Joshua and Moses were allowed to go further. And then the last segment, only Moses was allowed to go to the very summit where God enveloped him in his presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Four stages of intimacy with God. Well, as we go over to the tabernacle and see how God instructed for it to be designed, we discover that there was to be a fence around a courtyard, a yard, And the Israelites were encouraged to draw near and to bring their sacrifices and worship to the house of God. But they were not allowed to go beyond the courtyard fence. Now some, namely the priests, were permitted to come inside the courtyard and to draw even closer to the Lord. This is the tabernacle house. This is the yard. This is the house, the sacred residence of God. And It was comprised of two rooms. The the front room was called the holy place. And only some of the priests were permitted to come in here, drawing even closer to the Lord. And this back room was called the holy of holies. And in that room, God manifested his presence above the Ark of the Covenant in a ball of fire and smoke. And only the high priest and him only once a year were allowed to enter into that innermost sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. Just like Moses. Did you see the the four levels of intimacy with God reflected in both of these? And so God was saying that the dynamic of worship and connection with me that surrounds the tabernacle reflects what you've learned about this dynamic of ever-increasing levels of relational connection with me that you saw at Mount Sinai. And so there we go. And and you say, well, why is that important, the fact that these two are similar? Well, let me go to the next detail about this structure that will make it evident why this is important. The next detail I'd like to tell you about this is that the tabernacle was portable. It was mobile. Though the walls were solid, in fact, they were made of solid planks of wood, according to God's instruction, and they were wrapped in gold. Imagine golden walls. The roof was like a tent stretched over it. And even these solid walls, these planks, were held together by cross members that could be removed, and each plank could become free and loaded up into a cart. And so the whole thing could be packed up and brought with them. And and why is that important? I'll tell you. Folks, uh, we're about to leave Mount Sinai. The Israelites are about to depart after 11 months of being here. And as they're leaving, part of their heart could have grieved 
leaving God. And God says, you're not leaving me. In fact, I'm coming with you. The Mount Sinai dynamic of relational connection with me goes with you wherever you go. Whenever you set up camp, a mini Mount Sinai will be set up in your camp. This dynamic follows you even across the ocean and countries like America and cities like Chicagoland. God goes with us. One more detail. This tabernacle that was set up, this reflection of the Sinai intimacy with God, God said, I'll tell you, when you set up camp, I want you to set up the tabernacle. Let me tell you where. This is found in Numbers chapter 2, but God describes that he wants all the 12 tribes to set up their camp around, and he tells, you know, you tribes are to be on the east of the tabernacle, you're on the west, north, south. But he wants all the tribes set around the tabernacle so that the tabernacle is in the direct middle of the camp. Here's a picture that an artist drew, just a sketch of what an Israelite camp would have looked like. You see the various tribes setting up their camps with their tents and right smack dab in the middle of it all is the sacred residence of Almighty God. Do you see what God's communicating with this? God says, when you guys do life, I want to live right in the middle of your community, your life. God is moving in. He's moving into the neighborhood and moving into our lives. The tabernacle reveals this about the heart of God, that he burns with a passion to share life with us. In fact, let's go back to that verse one more time. Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. Maybe I read this phrase too quickly, and I think returning to it makes sense. I want the people of Israel to build me a sacred residence. Did you catch this part? Where I can live among them. God says, my heart is to do share life with my people. One of the biggest mistakes people make about God is their view that he's out there somewhere far away in heaven. And God is in heaven, but he is omnipresent. And his, his presence, his attention is focused on sharing life with us. The tabernacle was a constant visible reminder. God wants to live with us. Every time the Israelites went about camp, you know, they were, they'd see And God actually manifested his presence with a pillar of smoke and cloud above the tabernacle as well. It's like, wherever you were, you could see it. God's here, (laughs) wanting to be with us. Isn't that cool? And you may say, well, Jeff, that's evident in the Old Testament, you know, but we don't have the tabernacle anymore. Christ, you know, made that obsolete. And we don't really function in that way. Folks, the tabernacling passion of God has not ceased. And I want to show you by turning to the New Testament and and demonstrating that this continues to be evident. Let's go and look at the life of Jesus for a moment. Uh, The beginning of John, the Gospel of John, John 1. There is a verse that describes the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation is God becoming a human being. Look how it describes it. 
It says the Word became human. The Word is a reference to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. God became a human. When we look at the baby born at Christmas, that's God becoming a human. And made his home. Now, I want to tell you about the word home here. It's the Greek word skenu. And the Greek word skenu is the Greek word for tabernacle. It's kind of a weird word. You know, John could have just picked, made his home or house. There are many Greek words that would have been more naturally translated that way. But he chose the tabernacle word. Made his tabernacle among us. And, and the scholars, and appropriately so, have said, why did John use the skenu? The reason is he's trying to connect us to the Mount Sinai narrative. Jesus demonstrates the same thing that God conveyed at the sacred mountain. And that is God longs to tent with us, to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us. And when we look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, this movement of God to planet Earth, to become a man, conveys many things, but one of the central messages of the incarnation is, here it goes again, God can't stay away. The Lord wants to be with us. Jesus came for many reasons, but one of them is to demonstrate the heart of God longing to share life with us. How about the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 6.19? This verse says that your body is the temple, I'll explain why I put tabernacle in parentheses there, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So, again, one of the central doctrines of the Christian life is that upon being reconciled to God through Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, moves in, enters us. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Bible says. In this verse, the Apostle Paul says that your body is a temple, and and he, Paul, is going back to imagery found in the Old Testament, the, the temple, actually, the, the temple still existed at Paul's day as well. But the temple was a permanent version of the portable tabernacle. The tabernacle functioned as the Israelites were wandering from place to place. But when it was evident that Jerusalem was to be the capital, they brought the tabernacle there at first, but they drew up plans to make it permanent. And if you look at the floor plan of the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the temple, what do you discover? It's identical to the tabernacle. There's a courtyard with a big wall. There's a two-room building, front room called Holy Place, back room called Holy of Holies. And so really, this is the tabernacle, a permanent version of it. Your body is the tabernacle of the Spirit of God who lives in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God is another demonstration of God's passion to tabernacle with us. God says, I just can't stay away. I want to be with you. And God's like, what's the closest way I could be with you? I suppose to be in you. 
And so what we find is that the indwelling of the Spirit of God is another demonstration. God's just saying, man, can we do life together? Can we learn to recognize each other's presence, learn to talk, learn to walk together? The, the word Holy Spirit is sometimes translated counselor in our Bible, and, and the word there means paraclete. That's the, the Greek word. And the Greek word paraclete literally means the one who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit is God just wrapping his arm around us saying, I want to be with you. I've come alongside you. One more. One more demonstration of this tabernacling passion of God, and that's heaven as it's described in, in the book of Revelation. If you go to the last chapter of the uh, the last or second to last, Revelation 21, the Apostle John is given a vision of what heaven will be like. And it's quite a moment, a uh, little odd, but I'll describe it to you. Uh, John says as he looks, he sees a city in the sky, the new Jerusalem it's called, the, the dwelling place of God, the city of God, and it's hovering in the sky. Now John says, I'm standing in this vision on the new earth. It's a new planet. The new planet, humanity, that are reconciled to Christ, will dwell on. And he says, I watched the city of God descend, kind of like a helicopter would descend and land on the ground. So this city, the, the dwelling of God, descends and descends, and John says, it eventually touches down on the planet called the new earth. And the minute it descends and touches down, a proclamation rings through the land. And let me read to you that proclamation. This is uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. John says, I heard a loud voice shout from the throne, saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them. And when it says the home of God, the word is skenu, which literally means tabernacle. And so even heaven goes back to Sinai. Heaven, where we see this city descend on our planet. And finally, the, the longing and the passion of the heart of God is found in its fullest display. Visibly, we will see God. Tangibly, we will embrace him. Audibly, we will hear him. And finally, God's longing to live with us will be demonstrated in that the tabernacle of God is now with men. Isn't that cool? Folks, the passion of God is to share life with you. Believing in him, that he exists, that's great, but it's only a start. Reading his word and knowing a bit about him, so important, but not enough. Dialoguing with him occasionally in prayer, again, moving in the right direction. But until we learn to share life every day in fellowship and connection with the Lord, we are not satisfying his desire, and I pray we're not satisfying yours. Can I tell you a story? I want to tell you a story about a guy who lived 400 years ago, so a long time ago. His name was Nick Herman, 
And he was born in 1614 in a little town in the northeast corner of France. Poor, poor family. So poor, in fact, that he joined the army just as a means of having a place to live and a meal to eat. He joined the army and he was miserable. Didn't really like being a soldier. He was engaged in a horrific war called the 30-Year War that waged between fractions in Europe at that time. And in his emptiness, one day he was just walking from one assignment to the next, feeling just, what is wrong with my soul? Feeling death. And God spoke to him through a tree. I know this sounds strange, but no kidding. That's how it happened. It was wintertime, and the tree... Uh, uh, looked like this. You know, there were no leaves in it at all. And as he stood and looked at the tree, uh, he said, that tree is me. The lack of life, the barren nature of it was a picture of how he felt inside. And he just, that's, that's my life. And suddenly something dawned on him. Though the tree is barren, he said, in a matter of time, God will bring it to life again. Spring is coming. And with spring comes buds of fresh, vibrant new leaves. And and he realized God makes barren trees come to life. And, uh, And Nick Herman said, maybe God can do the same for me. Maybe God is what I need. He had grown up around the Christian environment where he had heard about Jesus and this message, but he had never looked to Jesus himself. But at this moment, he said, God, if you can do it for the tree, do it for me. And he cried out to the Lord for the resurrecting power of Christ to enter his life. And he was radically saved at the age of 18 while serving in the army. Well, he got injured in battle and was uh, honorably discharged from the army. And he looked around for a job, and he finally found one as a butler for a rich guy in Paris. So he moved to Paris, was serving this guy, and he just says it was a train wreck. He goes, I am too clumsy, because I keep dropping things and breaking things. And I'm going to get fired, so before I get fired, I'm going to quit. So he quit his job as a butler, and, and he said, what do I do? And he was talking with his uncle, and and he shared about this insatiable desire for more of God. And his uncle said, you should go to the monastery. You are so into the Lord. And he says, you know what, I'm going to do that. I am going to devote my life to service to God. And so he came to the monastery, and he knocked on the door, and he said, sign me up. I'm here to give my life in service to the Lord. And in his heart, he longed for a deeper connection to God through this full-time Christian service. Well, he was a little disappointed. The monastery received him, but they said, your official title is dishwasher. And they brought him to the kitchen, and they said, we need somebody to clean the dishes. It's your job. And for years, in fact, the rest of his life, he served in the kitchen washing dishes. Now, a little disappointing probably, but it didn't matter to this man. Nick Herman was passionate about finding God, whether it was leading worship publicly, which he didn't have opportunity to do, or simply washing dishes. 
He said, God, if I'm going to wash dishes, which is very boring, I'm going to wash dishes with you. Can we talk as I wash? Is that possible? And he did. He learned how, as he phrased it, to practice the presence of God. The tabernacling heart of God was conveyed through this dishwashing assignment that he had. And he grew to be aware of God's nearness all day long. He grew to be able to hear the voice of God speak to his heart. He grew to sense God's smile and God's love. And he so was filled with joy that some of the fellow guys at that monastery began to ask him, what's up with you, man? You, you got a lousy job, and yet you just love it. And he goes, oh, actually, I don't love dishwashing. I just love who I'm doing it with. And they're like, who are you doing it with? The Lord. And some of the guys started to ask Nick Herman to teach them how they can practice the presence of God like he was. And he was humbled by the request, but said, I'll tell you what I do, and started to offer some practical counsel. His reputation started to spread, and pretty soon people were traveling from distant lands to meet with this dishwasher to learn how to enjoy God all day. And he started writing letters to those who were writing with requests, and eventually someone took the recollections of the conversations people had, and some of the letters that he had written and compiled it together in a book. His name was changed, uh, as they frequently did back then to those in full-time ministry. His name was changed to Brother Lawrence, and his book was called The Practice of the Presence of God. became a devotional classic. Some of you may have heard of it. It's been selling for 400 years, millions of copies. Unbelievable. And I stumbled upon this book years ago, so small, and it has really helped me. I'd like to read just a few quotes from this book from Nick Herman, Brother Lawrence. Uh, Here's one. He says, The time of work does not, for me, differ from the time of prayer. Can you say that about your workplace? (laughs) He says, and in the noise and clatter of my kitchen with several persons calling out for different things, at that moment he says, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees worshiping in the holy sanctuary. Wow. In the midst of the chaos of work, this man learned to be attuned to the presence and nearness of God. Wow. Here's another quote for him. He says, instructing us, he goes, think often about God. How often do you think about God in your day? He says, think often about God, by day, by night, at business, and in times of leisure. God is always near you and with you, so don't leave him alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who had come to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not then forget about him, but think about him often. Adore him continually. Live with him and then die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. In a word, this is our profession. And if you don't know how, We must learn. Isn't that good? 
You say, I don't have a clue how to practice the presence of God to satisfying the tabernacling passion of God to be with me all day. Well, then it's time to learn, to get a book like The Practice of the Presence of God, of course, to study the Word of God, and to begin practicing, thinking about Him more and more throughout your day till it becomes a habit in your constant state of mindset. I'm trying these days to practice the presence of God with varying degrees of success and failure. This week, for example, I told you I went to San Diego all by myself. So traveling all alone is a strange dynamic. Did I travel alone? I guess not. The Lord was with me. Did some people watching at the airport. You ever done that? Uh, It's a good place to people watch. And I people watched with God. I'd see somebody, I'm like, Lord, why did you make him like that? You know, and I ask questions. Lord, I can tell that gal has a story. Boy, I wish I could hear her story. Lord, that guy seems to need you. I just see it on his face. Lord, what are you doing to reach out to that guy these days? can only imagine, Lord, how you're at work trying to pursue that guy's heart. Had so much fun, people watching with God. And then I drove for an hour north of the airport to this hotel. And man, to drive right along the ocean. Uh, I don't know if you've been to San Diego, but there are these rolling hills with palm trees. It is breathtaking. And it dawned on me that I was driving with the artist. And so as I drove, I basked in the glory of my surroundings and complimented the artist along the way. And just said, God, oceans, you know, wet stuff, nice idea. And the waves and the sand, it's just brilliant, Lord. I, uh, you laugh, but I did. That's what I said. I said, God, I just praise you for thinking of this. And trees and palm trees and rolling hills. God, this is gorgeous. Well done. Well done. On my way home, back to the airport, I wasn't thinking about the surroundings, but rather the content of what I had learned with these pastors. I was thinking about our church, and I thought about it in conversation with God the whole way home. I was like, Lord, I got an idea. You know, what we could do is, and we could move you know, this person to this role, and we could ask, start this ministry, and all these strategic ideas were coming up, and I dialogued with the Lord. Lord, what do you think of that, Lord? Is that your will? And the whole time I drove back, I talked with God about our church. It's fun to do life with God. You satisfy the passion of his desire to tabernacle with us. And in doing so, you find the life you were made for. We weren't meant to live alone. We were meant to live every moment with our maker. Would you pray with me? God, we recognize your heart in that structure called the tabernacle. We don't get it. We find ourselves boring. Why do you want to be with us, Lord? We don't get it, but we love it, and we see it, and we hear you cry to share life with us. Teach us, God, we are so inexperienced and foolish when it comes to this. 
We forget about you. We can go a whole day with giving you barely a thought, and that is wrong. God, we want your presence to fill our moments. Remind us that you're near. Help us practice. And when we fail, don't let us beat ourselves up. Let us just stand up and think of you again. And little by little, help us get better at once what we once were bad at. And little by little, with each moment, God, would you please teach us to enjoy your nearness, even as we do right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.